0: Welcome to the Master Mix Podcast. My name is Mike and Navina, and thanks so much for hanging out with me today. Today, my guest is Mike Collegian of Rogue Planet Mastering. And if you're not familiar with Mike's work, Mike is a mastering engineer who has worked with artists like The Devil Wears Prada, A Day to Remember, Newfound Glory, Silverstein. And so many more. And in this conversation, we not only have a great conversation about mastering in general, but we also get into a really cool conversation about running an efficient mastering business and what steps go into making a mastering business run smoothly. And we're not just talking about the numbers and sense of it. We're talking about how to create systems that allow you to work more efficiently so that you can actually make better sounding masters in the end. When you've covered all the business systems, you can actually free up a lot of time and mental bandwidth so that you have more clarity and more focus as you actually work on the audio side of things. And Mike brings up a lot of really important things that you need to consider if you are trying to make a serious go at this. If you're trying to be a mixing or mastering engineer full time a lot of the things that we talk about here are things that you will have to deal with at some point. So pay attention closely to the advice that Mike offers here because it's definitely going to help you become not only a better business owner, but also a better mastering engineer or mixing engineer as well. So with all of that said, let's just jump right into the interview because I know that there's so much great stuff in here that you're definitely going to love. Michael Aegean, thanks so much for being on the Master Mix podcast. How are you, man?
1: I am doing well, man. Thank you so much for having me. It's a beautiful day here in New York and I'm stoked to be chatting.
0: Perfect, man. For people who might not know about you and your background and all the cool stuff that you're working on, can you give us that story about how you got into music and all the cool stuff you're working on?
1: Yeah, sure. Jeez, uh, I guess if I start at the top, you, you want to hear the, the origin story? How Let's I got go for into... it, yeah.
0: I always love hearing that origin story. It's good to know. Yeah,
1: of course. I So I, um, when I was, my, my father was a musician, um, kind of casually. Uh but he was a uh, technician as his job. He fixed uh, music, uh, guitar amps, stereo equipment in the, uh, I guess this the late sixties, seventies, eighties, and even the nineties. That was you know good business fixing everything from Marshall amps to VCRs to stereos to televisions um, and everything in between. Uh, so he so i had the music influence and i had this kind of tech influence and when i was maybe five we moved into a duplex that was owned by my uncle and my uncle was uh also a a serious hobbyist musician and i say serious hobbyist he's an excellent musician he had a a recording studio in his house it was not his day job he had a normal day job Uh, but he was very much into it um and it was probably even better that he, he was a serious enthusiast because his day job afforded him all this really cool stuff. He had mixing boards and it's just samplers. And, you know, this was the, the 80s. Um, so whatever was kind of cool back then. Uh, So I was always around that stuff, you know, and kind of saw it and wasn't really allowed to touch it necessarily, but kind of like um, always there was, I think from an early age, the mystique of gear was burned into my head by like all this cool shit on my uncle's side of the house that I I couldn't play with and and seeing them play guitar. Um, So, so... When I was, I don't know, maybe 9 or 10, I got into playing guitar and drums and writing my own songs, and I would kind of use hand-me-down equipment from my uncle and my father to record these songs and and uh, kind of started along the path of engineering that way. But there was also uh, a side of just experimenting with kind of electronics um, because my dad was this tech, and he fixed stuff for a living, as a result, he wound up with a lot of broken stuff and junk. So he would bring home speaker cabinets and speakers and amps and, and I would wire up different speakers together and, you know, like 10 broken speakers and wire them all together and subwoofers and play around with stuff. And, and, you know, like an old, I I remember when DAT recorders and mini disc recorders came out and then they kind of fell by the wayside, he would have those. So I would have, you know my cassette four track and a DAT recorder and bouncing stuff back and forth and using headphones wired reverse as microphones. You know, like just getting really <laughs> scrappy, but kind of with cool stuff. Um, and it and so I kind of just grew up around that whole world. You know, the world that I still kind of live in um, now. Uh, but but then um, let's see, uh, grunge and, and punk. I discovered those two things and decided I wanted to be a rock star. So wrote songs, played in bands, um, actually started – my best friend and I started recording bands when we were in high school uh, for $20 a song. We had this little um, Yamaha mini disc 8-track recorder that we got and uh, I actually posted this on my Instagram story not too long ago I was talking about it because we had this 8 track I mean we had some crappier things before that like way crappier like uh, just little tape decks my first Sony type of shit but it was a big leap that we saved up money from recording like local bands um, local punk bands for $20 a song to buy this mini disc recorder and we loved that. That was so cool. And then I'll never forget, We he had gotten a job at a music store. We were like seniors in high school at this point. And Pro Tools 5 came out with the Digi001. And uh, I was on vacation when we had ordered a Mac G3. The blue is a green, blue, and white tower thing. And then the Digi001, right? So then we were going to have like 24 tracks. And I, I remember being on vacation and coming home and he, and he had gotten it. It had, you know, come to his house and he had set it up and he had started recording a band with it and like putting on headphones in his basement and listening to like the raw tracks that he recorded and just being been like blown away at how awesome, it was like, Oh my God. And we can put an EQ on like every track. And it's like, <laughs> it was just so, so, so cool. Um, so anyway, kind of from there just went the, the normal path of, 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 playing music, touring, played in a band, did that whole thing, recorded my own band stuff, made friends with bands. We were playing shows with recorded their stuff. I mean, I think that that's kind of a, a similar story to a lot of people. Um and, and then, you know, got pretty serious about it after I was, I got, I got sick of doing the whole playing in a band thing, you know, and really try, like I realized I wasn't going to be a rock star. Uh, so I set up a studio and and did a lot of producing and, and, and songwriting and got pretty heavy into like, you know, doing session work, playing drums for bands and stuff like that, which I still do a little bit. Um... And at a certain point, I just realized that like I, I was good at it and I had certain strengths that let me kind of hack my way through it. But I was never going to be really great at producing um, or even mixing. I, I think that at that time, when I look back on it, I was really too focused on the wrong things. I, I was not... Um, I was too technical, too much of a perfectionist. I wasn't thinking about the song as much, you know what I mean? Like, I should have just, like, smoked a joint and kind of sat back and, you know what I mean? Like, vibed. I didn't have enough vibe uh, in my in my early 30s and late 20s. And I was just editing and tweaking and sucking the life out of things. And, and, and for whatever reason, I was so focused on the sound and the tone that I wasn't as focused on the art. Um as i could have been you know to be really great at it like i hit a hit a wall and i saw that people who were my peers kind of getting better and having a different approach and and enjoying putting in long hours in a way that i i didn't in that in that kind of context um and and mastering was something that i always kind of did on the side anyway you know ever since i i had a set of studio monitors and a daw if somebody asked me to master their stuff i would just you know, I had no idea how to do it, but I was like, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll try. You know, if it sucks, just tell me it sucks. I mean, what's the worst that's going to happen? You know, it's a song. It's, it'll be okay. If, it, if I destroy it, then just delete the file and, you know, have somebody else do it. Um, so to me, it was always just a question of like, hey, I don't know how to do this, but if I listen to these other songs that sound good and I try to make the one that they gave me sound as much like this other one as possible, you know, or like hold up, stand up to that, It's got to be a step in the right direction. And it turns out I was kind of okay at it. Um, So eventually that kind of just became a bigger and bigger and bigger part of my uh, time and and income and work as an engineer. Um, And at one point I had a... um, a project manager who was a longtime friend and a really organized guy. And, and, uh, he had just left a, a big publishing company in the city and started working with me to kind of like manage my work and do scheduling and stuff. And when we sat down at one point and he's like, look, man, you're, you're, you're doing all this mastering and you like it so much more and it's so much more lucrative for you. And you're doing, you're doing these good records and like your results are so much better. And it's just like, you, you could, if you just, stuck to this. I mean, you would be so much better off. It would be like, you'd free up like 80% of your time and like lose 20% of your income. And you could build that back in in, in no time. Um, so so I did. Uh, I had a little bit of help from a, 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 another good friend who owns a microphone company and kind of me gave me some like consistent side work doing quality control for his microphones. So I like, I did that for a very short period of time, but having that, because I had kids and uh, or a child at the time and, and you know, had to support a family. So having that kind of on the side made me feel a little bit more comfortable taking the leap. But I, I sold, you know, like I was saying, when we first hopped on the call, I had so many microphones and preamps and guitars and and instruments and cabinets. And and for the most part, just kind of just within the course of a month, sold it all and rebuilt my room to be a mastering room and just said, hey, that that's what I'm going to do now. Um and, and just took the leap. And again, i it going to probably knock on wood a lot because I feel like th- my career trajectory uh, thus far has been, you know, preparedness and, and, and working hard. But there's been a lot of luck, <laughs> you know, or at least seizing opportunities that have come along due to, you, you know locker or serendipity or whatever you want to call it. So, uh, so expect to hear or edit out some wood knocking <laughs> during the course of this conversation. But yeah, it's just kind of grown from there. I mean, it just, it just, you know, I remember at one point when I was looked and I was like, wow, I'm, I'm like booked out a couple weeks and I've been mastering, you know, as much, I'm mastering now as much as I can. Like now the, the, the limiting factor is how much work I can do. You know, myself, it's not like I'm looking around for it. And it's been that way now for probably seven or eight years, you know, where I've just kind of been working on a, you know, maybe a record a day or maybe a little bit less. There was a time where I was doing more. Now I'm doing a little bit less. That's an intentional thing. I'm, I'm kind of um, not trying to do as many songs as I possibly can and get them done and put the money in my pocket. I'd rather spend the time and and enjoy it, do better work, you know, on each project or the best possible work I can, no matter how long that takes, and also enjoy my life otherwise outside the studio and, and keep myself fresh and have a good mindset to go in and work on an album every single day um, or whatever it is. But yeah, that's that's basically kind of my my origin story.
0: That's awesome, man. Man, there's, there's so much to unpack from that. And I think you touched on a really interesting topic that um, we haven't really dove into too much in the podcast, which is the idea of, um, you were talking about how with when you made that switch into mastering, it allowed you to make more money almost in less time because you were just fast at it and just the nature of mastering. Right. And so I think that's a really interesting observation that a lot of people don't take the time to really like crunch those numbers to actually see like the value of your time. Cause, cause when it comes to like, I think so many people get into audio thinking like, I'm going to be well, I, either they're going to try to be the rock star at first, like you mentioned, or, you know, or they're going to get into the engineering side of things and they tend to focus on the mixing side of it because that's kind of like the the sexy piece that we always talk about or whatever. Right. But but the thing is with that it is that it, it is kind of like that might be a high dollar, um, low volume kind of situation where you're working with a longer working with one artist for over a longer period of time and maybe making a little bit more money per project. But but that does take more time and so then you get into that time versus dollar equation to see like how much you're actually making on those projects right and and i think yeah, yeah. when you make when you actually crunch those numbers and you get into like the mastering side of things yeah you can master a lot of songs in less time and make more money that way. So it's
1: sure, sure. And, and and I think I mean, I didn't necessarily look at it from like the bottom line like how am I going to make the money thing, but it was more of like this is the work you're getting and doing well at, you know what I mean? And and look how look how you're just kind of thriving in this kind of corner of your business and not so much in the other and and it and it wasn't i mean it look if i had enjoyed engineering and producing more and i just loved it i would have i would have done that instead of mastering it wasn't like you know hey i'm not paying my bills i got to i got to i got to pay my bills i'm not really super concerned about that but i think that the the thing is is like you know i mentioned earlier that i was playing Guitar, and then later got into playing drums. It was the same kind of thing where, like, I started playing guitar and I was okay at it, but then all my friends who were playing guitar at the same time got way better than, than me. And I was like, "Well, wait, hold on, I'm much better at drums. Like, this just seems to feel like a better fit." And 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 now I'm like one of the good drummers, where I was like one of the crappy guitar players. It's like, it's like, oh, with engineering, like I just think also my approach was wrong. Like I said, and and I think that that also caused me to spend a lot more time on a song or a project than I should have you know I was like a little bit too nitpicky and and but but then when I got into mastering it was like oh I I feel like this is like it just it just it's free and easy I mean it just made sense and I was getting the work done on time because I loved it and I felt confident in it and and it wasn't like, I was looking around and seeing people who were doing work that I couldn't even imagine how to do it. You know, with engineering, it's like I, I and, and mix, I would listen to mixes. It's like, I could never do this. This is just so good. I mean, what the hell? Like, I, there aren't enough years left in my life for me to get this good at mixing. But with mastering, it was like, oh, I think I could, I think I could do that, you know? <laughs> so, so that was kind of a clear sign for me, too. It was like, this just seems to make sense. Um, And then the further I got away from mixing, um, the, the, I think the better I got at mastering. And I think of course, part of it is just repetition and doing it over and over again. But I think the other part is my mindset began to shift away from a mixer's mindset, um, which I think is, is is another part of the the hidden value of a mastering engineer is that like you you don't think like a mixer because I and this coming from someone who was a mixer and thought like it and like thought about the snare drum sound and and sometimes thinking about stuff that's specific is to the detriment at the end of the project. You have to be able to kind of straddle that that um, line mentally between the engineer and then the listener who doesn't even half the time know what a snare drum is maybe, you know? Yeah, it's just absolutely. The, it's a song that sounds good or, or not, you know? So, so you have to kind of be able to zoom in and out. And, and the further I got away from, from making those edits and, and, and tweaking tracks and setting levels, the more I started to just listen to music uh, as a whole and, and, and only zoom in when it needed it. And, uh, I think that that's made me a better engineer. And I think that that mindset is one of the strongest, uh, tools that a mastering engineer can bring to a project for sure. Absolutely, man.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting because you did say that, you know, while, while you were doing the mixing side of things, you were so in the weeds and like focusing on all those nitty gritty details. And to some degree, that's kind of what you have to do as a mixing engineer, but, 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 kind of to what you were saying it's like the re- the good mixing engineers are the ones that are thinking more big picture and and being able to have that separation of like being i guess like the micro versus macro view right like how when you so, when you made that transition into mastering, how were you able to shift your mindset because some people would just be like, okay, I know i'm I'm working on this track, and I want to bring out more snare, so you know like they start to think that way, right, so
1: yeah, yeah, it took time, it definitely took time, it just happened over time, it, from me, not it's like. They, there was a, a period of time for the first couple of years of my of when I was you know just doing mastering and I'm doing air quotes now because I was still doing some mixing. If somebody would send me, I had, you know, I had Pro Tools and I had all my plugins and the kind of everything was there and whatever samples I liked. And if somebody sent me some stuff and it was the right project, I would still take it on. Um, but n- but now I'm so far removed, I-, I couldn't. I mean, I couldn't mix a song now. I, I, I don't I don't think I could. I just you know, I'd be able to know when it sounded good to me and I definitely have better monitoring than I ever did, so that that's cool. But like in terms of like it feeling natural and like seeing a bunch of tracks in front of me and like where to start and how to get your groove going with a mix, I'm just so far past that. Um, that I, I don't remember it really. You know, it's like an old, it's like a past chapter of my life. So I, that's <laughs> maybe my crappy memory is how I had a shift in mindset. Like all that other shit just fell off the table. I'm like a goldfish and, and I forgot how to mix. Um, and in doing so I happened to get better at mastering, thankfully.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so you, you kind of, uh, you brought up a question that I, that I was thinking of, which is like, you know, how do you typically start a project when you're mastering? Like, what is your approach to it now? And how do you, how do you like, where do you start?
1: Uh, well, one of the cool things is that I so, – so for me, it's all about consistency and routine. I mean I could go on for hours about this, you know, sitting in the same spot, listening at the same volume, having everything set up the same way, uh, taking out as many variables as I possibly can from my end. I mean I just want to be as consistent – I'm going to beat the word to death – but as I can so that the music is the variable and I can recognize changes in the music. Um, so I have a fantastic assistant engineer who gets the songs and he puts them all in order and he sets them up and he, he sets them at a level that, that we've figured out that my analog chain likes to see right off the bat, you know, kind of puts it in a ballpark, um, level wise, and then, you know, lines everything up and he'll make little notes in the songs with little markers of where the choruses are and where the verses are. And he marks clicks and pops. Um, so we, and this is a routine that he and I have built together over the course of probably 10 years working together. Um, now he was with me even before I was a mastering engineer. He came to intern when I was a, a producer. Um, so we've worked together for a long time, and we have a he. He knows how I like to work, and so so that's a really nice thing to start working on a project. I I know what I'm working on that day. The session is already on my computer. You know he he where he preps it at his own studio, and then it's synced to my computer. And I opened it up, and it's like there it is. And then I can just hit play, and the first song starts playing. Um, but I mean. That's kind of the, the bread and butter of it. But really the other thing is, is that I, I like to, you know, I get, I gather a lot of information from clients before I work on the songs about what they want to hear. Sometimes, other times they don't really even have that information. You know, they're just like, okay, we, we've we reached the logical end of our process and like, what's next, you know, help us make it sound good. And I'm just as happy taking something with no directional information and just, do you know hey this is what i think would work um as i am getting really really specific notes which i always consider listening to references kind of um unpacking overly descriptive terms about how things should sound you know the type of thing that may mean something to one person and something completely different to somebody else um that's that's kind of all all part of the job um but i think that the the, the biggest tool that I have is that consistency, the repetition, and having worked on so many projects that usually when I hear something, I have a pretty clear idea right off the bat of where I think it should go and where the client is probably going to want it to go and what listeners are going to enjoy. Certainly, that's the, the biggest thing that I that I have here is is I know when it's going to sound good kind of you know, ubiquitously across all systems. Um, But if I can kind of make all those things meet, like, hey, I think this sounds great, you love it, and your fans are going to love it, then then that's cool. And I kind of am able to come up with a vague idea of where that probably is almost immediately. But that's just come from mastering and mastering and mastering and mastering and mastering and mastering. And, you know, fortunately, it, 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 it seems to be working out. I mean, usually, you know, within one revision max, but I'm not that I'm, ha- I'm happy to do as many as we need and I like to experiment, but usually I tend to get it pretty close, you know, pretty much right off the bat, hopefully.
0: That, that's awesome. Man. And and I 100% agree with you that consistency is like the most important thing for starting a project because there's so many people that don't have their workflows figured out yet. They don't have their chains or their their go to setups. Um, maybe even it's even just like their session organization. They don't even have that like systemized, you know. And then when you start a, a whether it's a mix or a master, when you start from a place of like starting from scratch every time, you're trying to learn as you go, and it's it's so distracting. You're like really taking away a lot of that creative. Gut reaction to the song because you're so focused on like the, the technical side of setting up a session, and and I think that can definitely work against you. And, and having these systems, I think, is is a great idea. And you know the fact that you even have an assistant who's doing things that you know that that's saving even more time from you. Like you don't have to get all that stuff set up.
1: Yeah, it hits you like a ton of bricks when you when you get. I mean, I you know when I started getting busy with mastering, I quickly realized that the amount of time that you need to spend on kind of like administrative stuff and basic session prep is just multiplied by an order of magnitude or more from mixing because you can do 10 songs a day, mastering in a comfortable and an eight-hour day. Um, So that could be 10 different clients that you're emailing and 10 different sessions that you have to set up and 10 different people who have to pay you and you have to keep track of it and revisions. And so the necessity for some sort of organized system uh, really became apparent immediately or became apparent as soon as I started to become uh more booked up and just like you said i, I didn 't want that to be a distraction at all i i, I didn 't really want to think about it my My thought process is that if there's if everything is is working properly. I need to be listening to music and making adjustments and talking to clients about what they want or what they want changed and that's really it i i I don't want to be like you know trying to like get money I don't want to be anything that's kind of more binary like you know downloading files and loading them into a session that's it takes time and and there's no reason why someone who works with me can't do that exactly right you know or putting things in order and setting things up um, to a way that like you said, I can immediately have that gut reaction because the other thing that I think is so big about uh, uh, with mastering is like fighting off like auditory uh, habituation, you know, and just like listening in a room that's weird and then you get so used to it and then everything that's not weird sounds weird to you or making an EQ move and then just getting so focused on it that you've changed something else, but then it starts to sound normal. You know, We, I've said to other people, it's like if you put a high shelf on your mix and turn it up like a quarter of a dB every 10 minutes, you, you won't notice it. It'll be like six dB in (laughs) whatever, you know, an hour and then, uh, or two hours. and, And then you turn it off and it sounds so dull, right? I mean, it's crazy how your ear can like adjust to these changes and you just establish a new normal immediately. Um, that can really, screw you <laughs> mastering if you're not <laughs> careful, you know? Um, and I, I hear it all the time. So that's like another big thing that my workflow and being able to work quick and, you know, if it's a really bright mix and I'm listening to the songs 20 times as I line them up and put them in the order that the artist wants, then I'm going to lose track of what, yeah, you don't know what's right anymore. Versus, yeah, exactly. So just having that already done lets me plan that first song and be like, whoa, and then EQ it before <laughs> it's too late, you know? Yeah. That's, that's important for sure.
0: Oh, man, that's, that's a really good point to bring up. And and it really does emphasize that fact of like just having your, your system set up so you don't have to do all those things, you know? Maybe, and not everyone listening to this is going to have an assistant, but, but even if you don't have an assistant, there's still things you can do to just make, your process go smoother, and it sounds like it sounds like on your back end, like even just with your client communication. I'm sure you probably have systems with your client communication or with the file delivery, that kind of stuff, so that it maybe helps speed up your process as well,
1: right? Yep every 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 chance I can to do something that makes things faster, easier, better. I, I any there are so many ways to streamline things without cutting any corners. Um, and the the thing is with mastering is that there's a very uh, finite amount of work that I can do right I I there's I can't scale myself you know I really, Yeah you
0: only have so much time
1: Yeah I mean I only have so much time I can't like it's it's like the type of thing where I guess you could teach somebody but then it's not me it's a very personal thing so the the I'm I'm happy with the volume of work that I do and just the 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 less kind of extraneous non-mastering work that's attached to it that I have to do um, the better, you know, because I'm not even really good at any of that stuff. I, you're not hiring me because I'm a fantastic, you know, invoice writer. <laughs> I suck at it. Um, yeah, so fortunately, I have someone who is fantastic at it that helps me out, and it's it's absolutely absolutely worth it. Um, the other the other point that I would definitely want to make is that if you have people who are like starting out or kind of at a mid level, I mean, you have to kind of think about what your goal is as as a professional, and if your goal is to become successful then you should maybe take some steps towards managing that success even before you have it. Because with me, it was like, I kind of got busy and was like, holy shit, I, how can I keep track of all this stuff? So then you're stuck with having to do the work and deliver the work while also shifting your brain into the mode of figuring out some sort of way to keep track of that work. And it's really hard to do, you know, both of those things at the same time. It's much easier to kind of like, at least set the foundation for that ahead of time, um, so that when you you know hopefully do blow up and start getting lots of calls and lots of emails, there's it's not overwhelming. You know, yeah, you've already got the system in place to do it. Yeah, that's
0: that's such a great point because like yeah, you're you're absolutely right. It's like so many people just kind of go with the flow, and you know when when they have all that downtime where they could have been working on building their business and, like, all the efficiencies of that business, they they don't do anything, and then it's, like, too late at that point. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And maybe, it's, and maybe it's, like, a good problem to have, I guess, but, like, why not tackle that problem ahead of time? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> or
1: at, at least kind of just start, you know? I mean, like, do like like look into it. Figure out, okay, listen, if, if I all of a sudden have a song every day to mix, like, what would I do, you know? Like, get those wheels turning a little bit mentally so that you're not, like, overwhelmed with it because – when, when you have a song to mix every day, you have to mix a song every day. Yeah. <laughs> so then what are yeah. you going to do? You're going to mix a song, you're going to go home after that, after mixing a song, and you're going to have to think about how to manage this. all these clients asking for revisions, and then go back into the next day and mix another song. It's great. I hope that, you know, I'd rather have that problem than not have a song to mix, but having having a little bit of groundwork laid in advance is definitely a, a nice thing. Totally. Uh, I, I kind of did that, I kind of didn't. I would do it a little bit better, if I could do it again, but, uh, it's definitely something that I try to tell as many people as I can who are, you know, kind of trying to make a name for themselves.
0: Yeah. I I think that like the audio industry or music industry in general kind of has this approach of like, it's not a business until it's too late kind of thing. Like, you know, like so many people just don't think about it that way. And it's like, when you actually flip the script and you do start thinking of it as a business, then like you create so much more efficiency in your life so that, you've got more time or you have the the resources to find more clients or whatever a lot easier because you've you've made time for yourself or you you know you've optimized your systems to to work for you
1: and you're doing better work i do better work because of it 100 percent. i mean that's the most important thing is that my clients get better masters uh because i'm not like bummed out that I had to wake up at six o'clock in the morning and like download files and, 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 you know, do all this stuff because I have all this work. It's like, no, I'm, I'm fresh. I'm sitting down. I'm, I'm happy to be listening to music and I'm, I put it on and I'm like, hell yeah. And I start, you know, EQing and like that I think shows sonically through in, in the work. And so that's the most important thing to me.
0: For sure. Well, maybe without getting into like super specifics, like what are some of those systems on the back end that you've that you've kind of built for yourself? It sounds like you've got invoicing, you've got an assistant, like uh, what other sort of things have you built to to help speed up that process or make it smoother?
1: Yeah, I think the big thing is um, uh, just having like really good project management. We use a, 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 I guess it's not an app, it's a website uh, called Trello that's just like it's a pretty common you know project management but but what we did and it's 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 funny because i'm about to go into a um, a month off actually 2 days from now is my birthday and then i'm taking an entire month off and and i'm not really taking a month off i'm just not mastering any projects within that month and and one of the reasons why i'm taking this time is because this system that i'm about to describe to you has been in place for more than five years, kind of as it stands right now. And it's pretty good, but there are little things that could be better. And just like I was saying, hey, once you get busy, it's kind of too late. Like, I have this list of things that like, okay, when something comes up, you know, a a bug comes up, or hey, we don't have a workflow for this sort of scenario. And unfortunately, you know, we missed an email because... We would have, we didn't predict that somebody would want this. And for the first time in five years somebody asked for this, you know, who knows? Uh, I have this list of stuff that I want to fix. The, o- the only way it's going to get done is if I say, okay, I, I need to just kind of get myself into this other mindset, sit down and, and work on these um, you know work on this backend stuff. But basically right now it's, it's Trello and it's, uh, I, we use a really good email service called Front which is kind of like a team-based email service. And I like that when you set up a project with me and my team, uh, we all share an email address. You know, mail at rogueplanetmastering.com goes to an inbox that the three of us check. My, uh, I have a, a, basically like a project manager who does scheduling and billing, um, and then I have an assistant engineer who, you know, sets up sessions for me and, and, you know, loads new files in and and has, you know, basically more of a technical knowledge. if, If something is clipped or limited or for whatever reason doesn't seem like it's right, he's kind of more aware of that and can communicate with clients than myself. And we can all, you know, when we set up a project in our system, there's an email thread for that project and it has all the information attached to it. We can have an internal conversation about the project if there's any notes we need to share or if I want to pass something technical along to Sam, my billing manager, um, I can do that kind of internally and then she can, you know, use that information to relate it to the client um, or the artist and uh, it's like, I don't know, it's just – it's really efficient and then we use something called Zapier, which I'm not not sure if you're familiar with Zapier, but Zapier kind of links everything together. So – our billing software, our email, Dropbox, Trello, they're all kind of linked together one way or another with Zapier. And it, it just it's really just about efficiency. I mean, if, if somebody emails me about a revision on a song, I can within my email client leave a note on the Trello card and have that Trello card move into a bin for revisions you know and just doing something like that where hey we we just want the low end up a little bit and I can say revision put low end up and like boom it puts that into my schedule you know what I mean and I don't have to think about having this list and, and and fatigue my brain remembering this stuff. It's just it's right there and I can go into it fresh and say, okay, here I am. I'm going to make this adjustment and, and send it back. And on that Trello card, everything is linked. I can go to the email thread about the project. I can see the invoice. I can see any notes. I can see uh, any communications that I've had. I can send a new email to them and ask them a question. Um, so everything is kind of like linked together in a way that, that makes sense for what you want to do, where you are, and, and allows you to kind of just act on things and i'm i'm very big on like the hot potato like if you have something and you can do it right now just do it let's let's make them happy and let's you know the cl- people like immediacy with their projects i want to get this done fast and right um so it's been it's been it's been cool it's it may get tweaked a little bit but i i think it's been pretty good so far
0: I love it, man. I love all of this, like this stuff. Like I'm sure some people are like, man, I wish this was like more of an audio based podcast. But like, (laughs) honestly, like I love this kind of this kind of conversation because it's so it it is like if you want to be a serious professional, you do have to at some point consider these things. And, you know, it it, to your to your earlier point, it, it makes you a better engineer, like yeah. there is an audio benefit to this, even though Huge. all the stuff that we're talking about here isn't necessarily like technical audio work, it, it it actually does make you such a better engineer because you have that clarity in your mind. You have that 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 you're 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 energized. You have energy. Like you're not you're not worn out from all this stuff and burning like burning like massive hours. You know.
1: Yep, I don't forget to deliver parts. I don't miss revision requests. You know, I I make sure that everything that. People expect to be done gets done uh it's it's that's big is remembering you know remembering all of this so it's it 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 makes it much easier for me to be confident that that all the work that needs to be done is getting done and getting delivered to clients right and on time and reliably. Um, you know, I'm at the end of a project that they've spent a lot of time on and put a lot of effort in, and I, I do not ever want to drop the ball on anyone, ever. So, it's important to me. And I think that when it's working right, it just, it's out of the way. It, you just don't even think about it. You know what I mean? It's You just interact with it as you need, and it just kind of fits into the work, and it's like there, you just kind of set it and forget it Um, so there are a few warts um, in in this process that over the last couple years it's you know something like oh what do we do if someone wants to um make a vinyl release of five separate projects that they've mastered over a three-year period and now we're going to reassemble all those like what's the best way to schedule that and how long does it necessarily take and and so like kind of having like some sort of a uh a loose protocol for every scenario, uh, helps my team set things up for me better. Um, so that's kind of one of the things that we're going to really dig into and, and refine over the next month. Um, the other thing that I'm really excited about over the next month is that we're going to, uh, start, um, kind of putting in place some, and I don't have all the details about this yet, but some, uh, climate initiatives for the studio. So I was
0: just about to ask you about
1: that. Yeah. So, so we're going to uh, – the first thing is I think starting on the first day of fall, we're going to plant a tree for every single song that gets mastered. Uh, I think I read somewhere that – I think it was like – I don't even know. It was in the trillions, the amount of trees that need to be planted by the year 2030 to offset climate change. It's a lot of trees. And (laughs) so we're not going to plant that many, but, uh, you know, any little thing that we can do, it's a, it's a relatively inexpensive, um, thing to kind of help. And, uh, so that that's, that's important. And then, you know, the, the studio here, I've, I've recently built a new studio, which I'm going to also take the next month to finalize is, uh, completely solar powered. So, uh, the solar panels on the roof generate four times as much uh, electricity as the studio itself draws um, and I just kind of want to bring a little bit of attention to that because I think that the audio industry on a whole uh, is full of uh, is is largely full of people who are probably receptive to that sort of thing um, maybe they don't get it outside as much as they they could but but uh that's another thing that maybe I hope to kind of show people I was I was, you know, had the classic studio tan for all of my twenties, and then for most <laughs> of my thirties, and then I, 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 I just realized how amazing it is to spend time outside and kind of offset that studio time with being active and, and you know, enjoying nature. Uh, so that's important to me, and I would like to share that with others. But also that that you know there are. Uh, Recording studios use energy, and and there are little tiny things that we can do in our relatively small industry uh, to do our part that really don't cost us anything in terms of money or time or effort. And if we can, then we should. You know,
0: I love that man. I, it, that's such a a great topic because I, I feel like, yeah, the, I mean, so many people don't think about this kind of stuff and the, the impact that we can have with our with our art with our businesses all this kind of stuff right and you know i think the fact that you have implemented this portion uh, like this this side of things into your business is just such a cool initiative and i think that i mean that that you'll probably end up attracting other artists that like agree with that that kind of thing too you know and who like relate to it and want to contribute to it as well like i mean that that might be a, a cool byproduct of it but um, more importantly obviously you're you're helping the uh helping the environment and doing some positive things you know, and not just not just making money for yourself and that kind of thing, right?
1: Yeah, I mean and I'm not an expert with with environmentalism and I'm not a scientist by any means and, and I don't wanna to pretend to to have all the figures and numbers that I, I don't. Um but if I can kind of just help people think about it, you know, or start the conversation amongst the clients, the artists that I work with and other peers within the industry, I mean it certainly can't hurt. Um and just kind of like bring some sort of awareness to that. So that's something that's kind of like still in the works, um, that I kind of plan to really dig into over the course of the next month. Um, but we, we, we have some basic ideas in place and I think it's, it's kind of a cool direction that I, that I want to go. Um, like I said, I've, I've, I'm a big cyclist. I love hiking. I love being outdoors. We live right on the, the, uh, edge of a gigantic nature preserve and uh, a state park. And, you know, my daughters and my wife and I enjoy that like on a daily basis. Um, So, you know, the idea that I can without almost without lifting a finger kind of do some things that can help preserve that for future generations uh, is seems like a no brainer to me.
0: Absolutely, man. I love that. It's such a cool thing to, to implement. And I've definitely been thinking about it myself. Like, how do I do more with, uh, you know, with, with the resources I have. And, you know, one of, one of my, one of my big mentors, he always says to me, like, the more money you make, the more impact you can make. And so like, that's his motivation for like working harder with this business and all that stuff. Yeah, and I, sure. I think it's so true, right? It's like, we sometimes just get so caught up in like making money, making money and, and not really thinking about like, what can we do with that? How can we actually help people? And you know, that goes far beyond just our own selfish reasons for doing it. Right. And it makes you work harder because you want yeah. to.
1: Yeah, yeah, of course, man. Yeah
0: awesome man I love that um, you did mention that you just built a new studio and obviously the, the solar panel part of it is part of it but um, yeah I'm, I'm curious to know like how was that process for you of building that new studio space
1: it was uh, hard <laughs> I've <laughs> it was it was a lot of work I um, I've built a few and my brother-in-law is a fantastic builder who has patiently built uh, Stood with me through the completion of probably five studios now, um, but this is the first one that I think is actually done right. Yeah, it, we. I guess we. It's in my house. We closed on this house in February and immediately started working on the studio. Um, and I want to say I got we got it done. It's it's not big. I mean it's I don't know the exact dimensions of the of the room, um, but it's it took about. I don't know, two and a half months of him and a team here working every single day to get it done. And me and, and I did most of the finishing work myself, um, you know, running the track and the fabric and the lights and the, and all that stuff. And, uh, I mean, it, it sounds fantastic. Uh, I took some advice from some acousticians I know and, and kind of used what I've put together over you know the last, however many years and tried to make this kind of like the forever room. And it, uh, it seems like it's it's there. It's almost there.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. When it comes to building a studio that's specifically for mastering, versus making a maybe a bigger mix room or production size room, what are some of the bigger considerations that people should think about if they're if they're going that route?
1: For me, it was about getting the size of the room right, all the dimensions. Uh, you know, um, the the ceiling height, and uh, and then the other. You know, the obviously the square footage of the room. But it wasn't. I wasn't really super concerned about isolation. Uh, I live in a fairly quiet space here. I also don't listen loud, so I'm not really worried about like the the. There's no instruments being played. I mean, I monitor at you know. Whatever, whatever it is, I, f- I forget the the dB. It's in the seventies, but it's you know not super loud. So it's like I'm not going to piss anybody off. My kids and my wife can sleep if I'm working on a project. So I'm not like going for isolation necessarily, um, and I'm kind of using the fact that I don't need to go so hard on isolation to benefit the overall acoustics of the room, really to get the low end right, um, to get the speaker positioning perfect. Um, the, the speakers here are soffit mounted, so they're in the walls, which really helps the low end a lot. And, and um, my consideration was to have a space that sounds really great, is precise, um, and just comfortable <laughs> to sit in, you know. Oh, whenever. Um, I don't really do attended sessions anymore. It's not. I don't. It's not that I don't do them. I just they, they just tend not to happen too much. People really don't come to mastering sessions. Um, so it's not like I have to host here, but I still have the nice, comfy couch, and and it's just a space where I come in every day and I sit down and I'm excited to excited to work. You know. But it also sounds really, really awesome. That the, the amount of treatment that we put into this room is kind of like. I would say probably four to five times as much as I've ever done in any other room before. I mean, the amount of rock wolf. My neighbors must have just thought I was like filling a swimming pool with rock wolf. <laughs> but uh, it sounds great.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, I love that. And like, I, you know, as we were talking about before we started recording, like I just moved into a new place. And uh, yeah, I'm already thinking like, what can I do to this place to make it better? And, you know, there's so much so much you can do. Right. Uh, but it, it's crazy.
1: I, I am a fan of tight rooms, so I don't really mind it. I know a lot of people kind of go nuts if they're in a tight, really, really tight room, but I think that the back wall on this room has maybe three and a half feet of uh, trapping, you know oh, wow. like you could oh yeah, it's it's in the front wall is probably five feet. So there's <laughs> the front to back is massive. Uh, at least a foot on the sides and the ceiling, you know, and then there's kind of other things built into the walls to manage base and stuff like that. But it's, it's, it's heavy duty. I mean, you walk in here and you notice it. It's like, whoa, you know, <laughs> and, and then between that and the, um, the off, it's like the monitoring is like, is, is amazing. It's as good as anything I've ever heard. Um, and it was so much fun to when we were building the room, and I first got the speakers put up. That my wife and I would just come in here with a glass of wine and like sit and listen to, you know, whatever she would just put on something and just sit in the chair and you'd listen to it. And she was like, "I, I can't believe how good this sounds." A- and then that, you know, keep in mind she's she, we've been married through this whole process. I mean, she sat and you know listened. We we've sat in Sterling Sound and listened to the you know speakers there, and and we've sat in all my different studios. And this was just such a quantum leap having built this around the speakers that I had and kind of really dialed it in that when it came together, it was like, wow, this is, this is amazing. And, and then it has the, you know, it's fun to listen to and it sounds really good. And also I know that it's right. So that when I deliver a master, I'm not like, you know what, am I making it too bright because my room is too dark? It's like, nope, this (laughs) is it. Like, it's good.
0: That's awesome, man. I love that. Uh, I'd love to talk a little bit about the monitoring cuz obviously that, that is a really big port, part of the studio that you've built. Um so I'd love to talk about like monitoring as it relates to mastering and obviously translation is such an important part when it comes to the mastering process, right? You want to make sure that your mixes are the mixes are translating from system to system. So you know what what goes into your decisions about making or about purchasing monitors for mastering.
1: Um I mean, so when I when I first got um into mastering, I bought some, uh, B and W. They were 802s. And I think that, that was more because they were fairly affordable, um, for a mastering speaker, uh, are full range, you know, and I think that that's pretty important to have a larger, heavier, full range speaker with, with mass to really be able to, you know, put out low frequencies. I, I think a lot of times with smaller speakers, people see, Oh, you know, it goes down to 40 Hertz or whatever, but, it's not it, it, not the whole story, you know. A lot of times with smaller speakers, they 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 don't really fill a room the same way. Um, I'm sure that a, a, a an acoustician or someone who's who's better at speaker design could explain this, but I think it has to do with the porting. And a lot of times with a smaller speaker, you're trading frequency extension for transient response in the low end, right? So there's there's accuracy that is lost just out of uh, consideration of physics when you have a smaller speaker so I had these big speakers and I got them because that's what I saw all these mastering engineers you know I looked at Sterling sound and they were using these B uh, ws so I got them and they served me well they, they worked really well for a long time but uh, then as I kind of noticed that there was a shift towards using ATC's uh, in the industry uh, there was a Another engineer, he was a ex-MasterDisc engineer, which I was at MasterDisc for a little while, and he happened to be local to me, and I knew that he had ATCs, and I sent him a message, and I was like, hey man, can I come by and just listen to your speakers for a little while in his room? And uh, he had a Fran Manzella design room in his house, which was really cool, um, and I went by and brought, you know, like a thumb drive or whatever of some of my favorite stuff, and, and put it put it up, and To me, it was like that became the obvious choice because everything sounded familiar. You know, it wasn't like it was a complete jump into another dimension. But also I was hearing differences between my references from one song to another. You know, my favorite, you know, go to songs that I wasn't hearing at my studio. I I remember going home that night and like listening to like, you know, toggling between a Radiohead track and something else and like, wow, I, I can't hear this change of tone that was so apparent in the other speakers. You know, It almost felt like a a microscope. So that made me kind of make up my mind that when I built the new room, I was going to put put ATCs in, um, which I did. So I have ATC 100s and I think they're 15-inch dual-sealed subs, And another kind of cool thing is I had a buddy of mine who is a fellow cyclist and blacksmith build me these um, custom fabricated steel speaker stands that are part of the soffit mount. They're filled with sand. They have these heavy duty spiked adjustable legs. Um, And that was kind of a cool thing to have like a local friend, you know, who's really great at his own craft put that together for me. Um, So between that whole setup and then getting the Trinov, which was another thing is uh, when I got the Trinov, I I ordered it and I told the guy I ordered it from like, hey, man, there's like a better than 50% chance that I'm going to send this back to you. I'm just not into room correction. I just for whatever reason had never had good success with it um, or speaker correction or, you know, any of that stuff. And I got it and like I hooked it up and I turned it on and I listened for like an hour and I was like, oh. Got to keep it, you know. And then I like I called a couple friends, and I was like, "You got to come over and listen to this." And one of my good friends is a local engineer who has the a similar ATC is one size down. And I was like, I was like, "Oh, Brendan, you got to come over and listen." And he listened. And he's like, "Oh." Now I got to get it. And <laughs> he bought it too, you know?
0: For people who might not be familiar with the Trinov, like it, it's just like a room calibration tool? Yeah,
1: or? yeah. It's 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 essentially it's, its own computer. I mean, it's like a rack mount computer that ha- runs proprietary software for room correction. Um, I mean, I know it does level alignment, phase alignment, frequency adjustment, and you can really dig in deep to exactly what it does and how it works, um, which I found that, you know, I'm not the type of person that likes to be tweaky for no good reason, um, but I found that over using it for a year, uh, I was able to really dive in and, and stop it from making some changes that I didn't think were for the good and then allow it to make other changes that I think were. And and one of the cool things about the Trinov is they have this really special microphone. It's like a multi-capsule microphone um, that you put in your listening position, and then it kind of does the whole thing for you. Um, so, yeah, I mean, my monitoring system is fed into the Trinnov digitally, and then that handles the two speakers and the two subs. So aside from doing room correction, speaker correction, uh, uh, wherever those two meet, um, it also handles the subwoofer integration perfectly, uh, which is another thing that I, I don't even know how to do it without that. You know, getting a subwoofer in phase, I mean, that just seems like one of the hardest things to do. So yeah.
0: So, how does the Trinov differ from something like a a sonar works or something like that? Because I'm sure a lot of people listening to this are pretty familiar with that kind of stuff. But this it sounds like it's more intense.
1: On a technical level, I I really couldn't tell you, I, but I'm certain that it does because I've tried SonarWorks before, and and in my particular instance, it, I didn't have really good luck with it. I I could hear, and I don't I don't want to I don't want to bash it. I'm yeah. sure they make a fantastic project product. I know that I have clients who use it with really good success, um, but for what I was doing, it just wasn't right. I could hear the EQ working sometimes. Um, I could hear like pre ringing or I I don't know whatever it was it was just like this just didn't seem right to me when I when I turned it on um, but then and then that's why I was actually hesitant to you know when I when I got the trim off and I took it out I was like I was wearing gloves because I didn't want to scratch it in case because I was expecting to return <laughs> it uh, and that wasn't the case um, I, I think that they do there is some overlap in what they intend to do. Uh, I I can't speak to the process that they actually use to do those things, but I also believe, and I could be wrong, that the Trinov goes a little bit further with uh, correcting phase and integrating subs. Um, I'm not really sure. I mean, they live in the same kind of category of product, but uh, I think that the the Trinov is certainly more advanced in terms of it's a proprietary hardware unit and a a, a microphone. Um, But for me, I, I I can't endorse it enough. I, I I don't know if you're gonna ask about a desert island piece of gear, but rather than rehash this whole thing, I'll just say now that it is in. It. <laughs> it's like if it broke, I would just take a vacation until the new one came in because it just feels like that's the, I mean, it's like it's like if you're if you're a color corrector for a movie and your monitor broke and all of a sudden it was like everything was green. You know, and you had to color correct a movie like you would just not do it until you got a new display. That's how I feel about the trinoff. I think it just it complements everything and does that last little bit of just, you know, I don't know. Maybe it's a some of it is a placebo with a confidence boost. But I feel like I know when I'm in this room with that thing turned on that I'm hearing what's there.
0: Awesome. Yeah, because one of the big challenges whenever you have a new studio space is getting used to it and learning how music should sound in that room. And, like, did you have those ATCs for a while before you got the turnoff?
1: So, I not for very long. I ordered them both at the same time, and I think the ATCs came in a little bit earlier, so uh, it, it, or something like that. So, I had them for maybe six months beforehand, and they were good, and I did fine work on them. But it, I feel like they really came alive when I got the turnoff. And what's really interesting to your point about getting used to a new room is that when I moved into this studio from the space I had been in, I had the ATCs and the subs and the turnoff in the other room. When I came here, it was like I, you know, reshot the room from scratch. I didn't use any of the same settings, but it was like immediately uh, totally familiar. I mean, it was like I hit the ground running. It sounded better. It sounded clearer. It was like the bass was better, but it wasn't foreign at all. It wasn't like I was getting used to the sound of this room. It was like I, I feel like I delivered a master that was fine on the first day working Whereas in the past, when I've moved to a new room, I've been felt completely clueless for a while, you know. So that was another really big help too. It like smoothed out that transition into a new space. I, I've only been in this space for six months now, but I feel like I've I've been in here for you know a year and a half because of that.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, because yeah, definitely like learning the room can can definitely have a big learning curve, and and I guess there's also something to be said too about whether it's Sonarworks or the Trinov or whatever, just even trusting that as well, you know, like because maybe you had six months of listening to your ATCs without it and you probably got used to how that sounded in that room and then now all of a sudden things are different. So it's like, you know, maybe shifting your perspective of how how much low end you need or how much top end you need that kind of stuff, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I think the proof is in the pudding. I mean, just, you know, I, I, for sure at first there was a lot of like, you know, going out to the car and listening to stuff, listening to stuff on headphones, you know. And 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 then one of the other nice things about the Trinoff is, and I think that I'm sure it's not exclusive to this product, is that you can kind of manually tweak it too a little bit, you know. So once you have your baseline of like this is flat, you can say, oh, you know, I I want a little bit more low end, you know. I just, I just like it It's because you know, I want it to be fun to listen to as well, you know. I want to kind of strike that balance between like, I don't want it to be so austere and flat and accurate that it's like, oh, now I get to make everything sound boring. And then and that's how I know that it's good to send out. You know, I want it to sound fun. So lots of listening to my favorite records, lots of listening to records that I think just sound great. Um, and then lots of checking my work in other places. But I think that it was a big enough thing that when it was all working and everything came together, it just it, I feel super confident in it. So I'm not touching any of this stuff for a long time.
0: <laughs> why bother? Right? When it's it's kind of like going back to what you were saying earlier about systems and just like once you have that system, why you know like if it's working for you, keep it. You know.
1: <laughs> yep. Keep it. Keep it consistent. I haven't touched the volume knob on this thing since the day I turned it on. Not not even dB.
0: I love that. <laughs> That's awesome because everyone like I see so many people change to, like the listen super loud, super quiet it's all over the place and it's like every time you do that you're recalibrating your ears yep and and like not you, me it
1: is it is set it I don't even have a volume control there's not even a vol- I mean I have to open up an app to control the turn-off to adjust the volume and it doesn't even open I mean there's no need to do it you know <laughs> I mean I guess there's a dim so if I wanted to dim it, I could do that but I just I don't Really do that either. It's just it is what it is. I listen at this level. I found it. It works for me. It's comfortable, and and then I almost don't even really need metering either. You know, it's kind of like um, the the Bobcats thing. When you have your monitors calibrated, you know what loud is because it's loud. You know, and it's like that when a master is loud, it's loud. <laughs> And when a master's not loud, it's not loud. It's, I don't need to look up at my screen to tell me that, you know. I mean, I have it to kind of affirm what I'm hearing, but the, my ears are definitely taking the lead now that I'm so acclimated to this.
0: Of course. Yeah, well, it sounds like, like you said, you, you spent that time learning how things translate from your car to your studio and vice versa or other systems. So now you know what that sounds like. And, yeah, the fact that you haven't adjusted the volume knob it allows you to easily identify. Okay, like I'm hearing way too much low end on this mix or whatever. Like it, it just sounds wrong.
1: Yep, it's totally apparent, and that's that's the the crux of uh, of of mastering is perspective. You know, it's mindset and perspective. Knowing when there's too much low end because what is too much low end? You know, what what's wrong with too much low? Like where does this? It's just all this like arbitrary stuff. So to be able to kind of be the arbiter of the overall frequency of a song, you know, to do that well, I think you just have to kind of have the right perspective on it. And and that's that's what I think has made me grow as a mastering engineer. It's not like learning tricks necessarily. I mean, they're tricks, but it's not like getting a better EQ or or learning how to use compression. It's like learning how to have that perspective and learning how to listen to music and 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 knowing when something sounds good and knowing when it can sound better and knowing when it's done and and it's it's very like mental you know in in a way uh and and those are the things that i think every day and every week and year that goes by that i continue to learn more about how to do that better you know rather than learning how to eq better you know
0: yeah i love that man Dude, we'll, we'll wrap up around here just cause I feel like this is kind of a, a good spot to tie it all together, you know, talking about systems and how, how systems don't just affect the back end of your business. It's also affecting, you know, how you listen to music as well. And, you know, little things like not adjusting a volume knob, that's a system to some degree, you know, it's yeah, like, yeah. It, that's helping you train your ears and, um, Man, like I just think that there's so much awesome stuff to take out of this interview. So thank you for taking the time to to do this. I really appreciate it, man.
1: Of course, I. You know, you might get a chuckle about this. There's like a sticker on my, uh, or there was. I should put it back on. A sticker on the lever that adjusts the height of my chair that says "Do not adjust." <laughs> so like if my kids come into the room and they're like you know, because sometimes I'll my I have two young daughters and they like listening to you know, whatever, and I'll say, hey, we should listen to this. And uh, my one daughter loves Dua Lipa and she wanted me to play. I played a song in the car on the way home from daycare one day and I was like, oh, this is going to sound awesome in the studio. Let's go into the studio and listen to it. And I had the sticker there so they can't adjust the height of the (laughs) chair. So uh, every day I come in and I sit, at. it's even at the same height. I mean, it's that crazy how I get into it, you know, (laughs) because it could make a difference, you know, a degree or two off, you hear the high end a little bit differently. And when you... When you listen to it in the same spot for a year and then you move down an inch, all of a sudden, I mean, you know, when we're talking about adjusting tenths of a dB, you know, that could easily be a half a dB or or a dB of top end being at that different angle, you know, so I keep it as locked down as I can.
0: I love it man. It's like such a like a scientific approach to it, but you need like those you need things to be a certain way to to really trust it. And
1: yeah, this way I can just like let loose and like vibe while I'm listening to the music and not have to worry worry about any of that stuff. All the science just kind of supports the art.
0: Yeah. I love it. <laughs> that's a good idea. Actually, now I'm like my wife is pregnant, so i've now you've got my mind oh, thinking. Congratulations! Of, like, how do I how do I like prevent my kid from eventually fucking with all my gear? And
1: <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, just be 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 really careful. There, um, they it's really interesting. It's your first kid. Yeah. Oh man, when 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 does she do? In January. Oh, that's awesome, man! Congratulations, you're gonna have so Thank much you. fun. I have I have two, and they're they're fantastic. But yeah, don't don't let them near the speakers, especially.
0: Yeah. <laughs> got to have them high enough that they can't poke them.
1: Yeah. I, was, I told my <laughs> wife, I'm like, if they push in the cone of that ATC mid range, I was like, I can't afford to re- replace it. <laughs> like we're just done. That's it. I'm going to have to go get a job at wherever, you know, like I'm yeah. going to be uh, be an accountant <laughs> from now on.
0: <laughs> right on, man. Well, if people want to learn more about you, follow you online or potentially even work with you, what's the best way for them to do that?
1: Yeah, uh, well, let's see. I I try to keep my social media as consolidated as possible. Um, My Instagram, there is a Rogue Planet Mastering Instagram, but I don't use it that much. I think it may go by the wayside. Um, And I just kind of stick to my personal Instagram, which uh, is just my last name and then OFDOOM, Collegian of Doom, um, which is kind of an inside joke. One of my friends made it up years ago, and I it became my Instagram before I realized that Instagram was going to be a thing, and now it's too late, so it is what it is. Um, and then my website is RoguePlanetMastering.com. Um, that has you know links to stuff I've worked on. It has ways to quote projects, get in touch with my team, get in touch with me. Um, I try to answer any DMs, any emails, uh, any Facebook messages. I try to use Facebook a little bit less. Um, for, you know, some obvious reasons, but, uh, yeah, I try to be as accessible as humanly possible, um, for anybody who has questions and, uh, you know, particularly anybody who is interested in working with me, I want to be, you know, as open and accessible as I can, you know, to make their project as good as it can be.
0: Awesome, man. Well, I'll definitely include links in the show notes so people have that as well.
1: Very cool, man. Thank you.
0: So that was my interview with Michael Aegean, and I thought that was awesome. I love the advice that he gave about systemizing and how consistency is so important in the process. And that is definitely something that I recommend everyone listening to try to incorporate into your own process, you know. Find the levels that you like to listen to your music at, you know, find the templates or the tools that you like to use and and basically systemize everything from the ground up so that you can get rid of a lot of those boring mechanical tasks. And when you do that, it allows you to just jump right in, have your initial gut reaction to your music, and just be focused and creative and not have to be distracted by all of these other things that really aren't aren't the fun stuff, to be honest. So I love all the stuff that Mike shared here. And it was also really cool to talk about room calibration software and how he has incorporated that into his new setup and how it's allowed him to master better sounding records because he trusts his speakers he trusts his room a lot more and that's definitely something that if you yourself are working out of an environment that isn't necessarily the greatest room calibration software can definitely be super super helpful and as i believe i mentioned in the in the episode i just recently moved into a brand new space and i set up my speakers here for the first time a couple days ago and listening to music in here is totally different than my old studio. So definitely I've been incorporating some room calibration software just to get my ears back to the way things sort of sounded before, you know, and just actually have the imperfections of this room corrected and calibrated. uh, And it has definitely drastically improved my listening experience here. So, you know, if you are working out of a less than ideal environment, definitely look into some of this room calibration software uh, because it, it can drastically help you out with your mixes and feeling like you can trust your monitors a lot more. So I hope that you enjoyed that episode and that you found it very informative and that you took a lot of great advice from it. I definitely know I did and definitely would recommend listen back to this and incorporate a lot of the same things that Mike was talking about earlier on. So with that said, if you did enjoy this episode, Please make sure to subscribe to the podcast. That way you're notified about all new episodes as they go live. Feel free to share this podcast as well if you know other engineers that would love to hear this as well. My goal with this podcast is to help out tons of home studio musicians so that more music can be put out in the world and so that there can be more positive impact from this music as well. You know, I know we kind of talked about that in the episode a little bit about positive impact and the things that you can do with your music and your arts. So definitely that's one reason behind me putting out this podcast. So if you can spread the word, I would much appreciate that. And thank you, thank you, thank you for not only listening to this podcast, but for spreading the word as well. Lastly, if you haven't already done this yet, definitely make sure to visit MasterYourMix.com. That is a website where I help out musicians with creating pro-sounding mixes from their home studios. And while you're there, definitely make sure to check out my book. It's called The Mixing Mindset. And inside of that book, I break down the process of mixing step by step. And we talk about how to approach your mixes and how to think about your mixes Clearly, and know exactly what tools to use, when to boost, when to cut, what settings to use all over the place. And ultimately, this is going to give you a system so that mixing becomes super easy and it doesn't have to feel so daunting. So, definitely make sure to check that out. It's called The Mixing Mindset, and that's available at masteryourmix.com. So, with that said, we've reached the end of the episode, and thank you so much for sticking around to the end. And I look forward to chatting with you in the next one. We'll talk soon. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to the Master Your Mix Podcast have your questions answered submit your questions to questions at masteryourmix.com please go to itunes and subscribe and leave a review and for more information on how you can improve your mixes visit masteryourmix.com